Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991, to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Good morning. It's 830 on Wall Street. I'm Michael McKee, along with Tom Keene. Our economic indicators are brought to you by Commonwealth Financial Network. When it's time to change the conversation, talk with a broker-dealer RIA that's ready to listen. Call 866-462-3638 or visit Commonwealth.com to learn more. Let's go to Vinny Del Judice at the Bloomberg First Word Desk for the income and spending numbers. Michael, good morning. Consumer spending topping forecast up 1% in April, adjusted for inflation. Also topping forecast up 0.6%. Personal income up 0.4% in line with forecast. Inflation gauges attached to this report, all indicating tame inflation. Again, consumer spending up 1% in April, topping forecast Income up 0.4%. At the Bloomberg First Word Desk, I'm Vinny Dell, Judice, Bloomberg Radio. Let's go back to New York. Oh, Vinny, thanks so much. Mike, uh, let's say just the economics before we get to Deutsche Bank. Um, here, I, pretty much on plan, I mean, is what I see, real personal spending higher than survey? Yeah, and that's important. It does suggest that Americans, after uh, some weak uh, spending numbers in the first quarter, have come back. Uh, 1%. Now you uh, had a revision to March uh, from a tenth gain to flat. So it's really a nine-tenths gain, but that's two-tenths better. And 1% is a very large increase. Um, even inflation-adjusted, it's a six-tenths of a percent. Uh, personal income's up four-tenths. And I was just looking at the numbers, Tom, and within the personal income breakdown, Wages and salaries were up half a percent. That's the strongest since January. And that's what really matters to people is uh, what they have left over. Disposable incomes up half a percent. And get real on real disposable income up four, four point zero percent. That that's really a very better than good move. I don't really see it in the two year yield yet, but that'll be uh, worth watching. I'm also looking, Mike, here. There it is. The savings rate. Wow, 5.7? Five, 5.4% 5. Uh, for the month of April. Um, it's down from 59 but it uh, suggests that people were willing, were, were willing to spend. I'm looking at the first quarter number. Right. I'm sorry, 5.7. So, uh, yeah, the, the important thing here is this is uh, the most recent of uh, the numbers. It's, uh, it's not part yeah. of the quarterly figures yet. And then the inflation numbers. This is what the Fed is watching, and the month-to-month numbers come in stronger then they have the PCE month over month up three tenths yeah. uh, as opposed to a one tenth gain in March. And on a year over year basis, we're up over one percent, one point one percent now from yeah. eight tenths. So inflation moving in the direction the Fed wants to see. It's amazing. And what you don't see, folks, that we get with our great statistical team at Bloomberg is on the Bloomberg screen in the famous amber and black more than any other survey, Mike, when I look at personal income and spending, it's a real snapshot of what we're actually doing yep. with our money. It's it's not esoteric 35,000 feet economics, not that we would ever talk about esoteric 35,000 feet. We would never be economics with Megan Green of yeah. Manual Life Asset. She's the, uh, she's the chief economist there, joining us from uh, Aston today. She you has two, she has not one, later. two, two skyscrapers to gaze out west towards Fenway Park <laughs> and the first place Red Sox. Two skyscrapers. Tom loves New John Hancock and old John Hancock. <laughs> Megan, good morning. Uh, 
These numbers, Good morning. These numbers, Megan, are, are, I guess you would put them in the category of, uh, if you had a scale, they would be on the side of weighting the Fed towards moving in June. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I have always thought that the markets were underpricing the probability of a June hike. Um, I think if the Fed can possibly justify a rate hike in June, they'll go ahead and do so. Um, the biggest risk, of course, is not what's happening in the U.S., it's this um, Brexit referendum in the U.K. Um, the Remain camp has started to pull a bit ahead, so that could mollify the Fed um, in terms of hiking in June. But, you know, the other alternative is to wait until July. Um, the only problem with that is that then we don't have a press conference. So the Fed could try to um, communicate everything very clearly for a rate hike in July at their June press conference. If they're going to do that, though, financial conditions will tighten. So they sort of might as well just go ahead and hike. In June. Yeah, I mean, that's what everybody's saying July and we don't worry about a press conference. But, you know, if you don't do it in June, you pretty much have to come out in the statement and say we're going to do it in July. If that's what you want the markets to do, and as you say, just why not? Why not do it? Um, the the numbers. Well, we've got a whole week of data here, but when you see the inflation numbers, it does suggest they're getting what they want. Yeah, it's certainly getting closer. Janet Yellen has um, repeatedly mentioned that the better inflation data that we've seen over the past six months may be transitory. Um, particularly looking at core inflation um, or core PCE um, off the back of year-on-year comparisons dropping out of some of the healthcare data. So that's put upward pressure on it, um, and that won't be sustained. Um, so, you know, the big question is whether Yellen and the rest of the FOMC think that is sustainable or if that is transitory. Um, no matter what happens, incidentally, I think that the U.S. dollar will continue to strengthen, whether the Fed hikes in June or waits until December um, partly because of what the Fed does, but also because of what every other central bank will be doing, which is easing really aggressively. Well, uh, very quickly, 30 seconds left. How high does the dollar go? Because if it, if it doesn't go too high, then the Fed's not going to care. As Bill Dudley says, that's kind of the point. Yep. So I think because the foreign exchange channel for every other central bank is pretty impaired now, it will go higher, but not nearly as much higher or as quickly as we saw last year. So the dollar appreciated about by about 20 percent last year. We won't see that this year. Maybe, you know, another 5 percent appreciation mm-hmm. this year. Megan Green with us with Manual Life. She has another life. Uh, her terrific, important article in Foreign Affairs Magazine, Megan Green and Daniel Kellerman. Uh, on migration and immigration, Megan mentioned Brexit and Bremain and the idea of the wild card being uh, immigrant slash migrant dynamics on continental Europe. That'll be an important discussion that we will talk about. She's very pessimistic on the Turkey Euro exit futures up three. Let's check in with Michael Barr and get the latest world and national headlines now. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. In 2014, the Brazos River in southeast Texas was bone dry. Today, it's a totally different story. The Brazos is forecast to hit a record crash in Fort Bend County, raising the flood worries in the region. At least six people have died in the area after four days of torrential rains and floods. A Brazos River Authority map shows all 11 of the reservoirs that are fed by the Brazos are at at least 95% capacity. The small town of Thompson is about 30 miles south of Houston. Thompson Mayor Freddie Newsom was asked if his home is in danger from floodwaters. 
I'm going to be able to stay in mind. I've got waters around me, but I don't think you're able to be getting into my, into my home. Newsom has been leading voluntary evacuations in his small town. South Korea's military says North Korea's latest rocket fizzled today. It is the fourth in a series of high-profile failures that somewhat temper relations and worries about the North pushing quickly toward its goal of a nuclear missile that can reach the U.S. China wants to strengthen relations with the Philippines and incoming President Rodrigo Duterte. Chinese President Xi Jinping made the statement after bilateral ties have been strained by tensions over conflicting claims in the South China Sea. Global News, 24 hours a day. I'm Michael Barr. Mike, Tom? Thank you, Michael. Time now for the Land Rover Proximity Bloomberg NBC Sports Update with John Stasha. Hi, Mike. The Warriors not only made regular season history with the most wins ever, they became only the 10th team ever to win a playoff series after trailing three games to one. Remember, they lost games four and five by a total of 52 points. But after the comeback win in game six, they came home, spotted Oklahoma City a 13-point lead, but won the third quarter 29 to 12. They won game seven, 96 to 88. Three-point shooting carried them. Both Steph Curry and Clay Thompson broke the previous record for most threes in a series. Together, they made 62. They made 13 last night. Curry had a game-high 36. And the NBA Finals is a rematch of last year. Cavs and Warriors starting Thursday in Oakland. Was last night the last game for Kevin Durant with the Thunder. He'll be a free agent in a month. Stanley Cup final underway in Pittsburgh. Two rookies, Brian Rust and Connor Sears, scored minute apart first period for the Penguins. San Jose with two in the second. Stayed that way till late third when Nick Benino scored. Penguins won 3-2. Game two's tomorrow. The Yankees, who won Sunday with only one hit, managed just five last night. A 4-2 loss at Toronto. Like last week, Marco Estrada beat Ivan Nova. The Mets over the struggling White Sox one nothing. As for one day, anyway, Matt Harvey looked like his old self. Seven scoreless innings. Neil Walker's seventh inning homer, the only run. New first baseman James Loney makes his debut tonight. With the Bloomberg NBC Sports Update, I'm John Stanshaw. John, thanks so much. We look at equities, bonds, currencies, commodities. It's churn here, very range-bound recently, but news flow up and coming over the next few days. Futures up two, Dow futures up 31. The VIX trading before the opening up 0.75 big points, 13.87. So that's just a jumble right now. Mike, when I walked in the door, the two-year 0.93%. Lower yield over the last three hours, 0985 uh, still elevated over where we were long ago and far away on a Friday. Did you have a good weekend, Michael? It was a great weekend. Did you go to X-Men or? Uh, no, no movies. Alice in Wonderland? We, uh, we went to the beach. Went to the beach? Beach. First beach weekend. Was there, there was no icebergs in the water? No Literally. icebergs in the water. It's early for me. <laughs> no sharks. It's like one day, the third week of August, where I'll put a toe in. Good morning. The Sports Report brought to you by Land Rover Parsippany. If it's in your nature to cast off the everyday and seek adventure, the Discovery Sport was built to help your search. Visit LandRoverParsippany.com or call 1-800-FIND-4WD. Land Rover, above and beyond. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app. And on your radio, this is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update is brought to you by the American Arbitration Association. Business disputes are inevitable. Resolve faster with the American Arbitration Association, the global leader in alternative dispute resolution for over 85 years. Learn more at ADR.org. Consumer spending climbed in April by the most in almost seven years. Consumer purchases climbing 1% last month after a little change in March. And personal income climbed 4 tenths percent for a second month. Great Plains Energy agreed to buy West Star Energy, the biggest 
largest utility in Kansas for $8.6 billion as power companies across the U.S. Facing weak demand and rising operational costs look to consolidate. Treasuries losing their edge over stocks as the U.S. economy expands enough to push the Federal Reserve toward raising interest rates. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P E-mini futures up two points. Dow E-mini futures up 29. NASDAQ E-mini futures up six. DAX in Germany is down three-tenths percent. Ten-year Treasury down 8.30 seconds. The yield 1.88 percent. NYMEX crude oil up four-tenths percent or 20 cents to 49 54 a barrel. Comex gold down four tenths percent or four dollars fifty cents to twelve twelve twenty an ounce. The euro a dollar eleven forty nine. The yen one eleven point one seven. And hackers infiltrated Times MySpace social network and made certain data available in an online hacker forum that was shortly before the Memorial Day weekend. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, uh, thanks so much. It is eight forty eight on Wall Street. The following is from Bloomberg View. Opinions and commentary from Bloomberg columnists. I'm Justin Fox, a columnist for Bloomberg View. After almost a century of making cars and selling them in more or less the same way, automakers are worried that the business of automotive transportation might be about to change radically. Now, car makers sell vehicles to customers, through dealers usually, and often provide financing. In a future dominated by self-driving cars, it may be that car ownership will give way to on-demand mobility. A car shows up, takes you where you need to go, and moves on to the next passenger. That's what Uber and other ride-hailing companies are banking on. And lately, auto executives have been falling over themselves to collaborate with and invest in these companies. Just this week, Toyota announced an alliance with Uber and Volkswagen with Get, a Tel Aviv-based rival. It's understandable that the automakers want in on what may be the future of driving. In a world of on-demand mobility, though, it's Uber, Get, Lyft, and their ilk that will be interacting directly with consumers, building brand loyalty, and gaining knowledge. Somebody has to build the vehicles that will shuttle us all around, so there will still be automakers. But the cars they make risk becoming interchangeable commodities. I'm Justin Fox, a columnist for Bloomberg View. For more Bloomberg opinion and commentary, please go to BloombergView.com or ViewGo on the Bloomberg Terminal. This has been Bloomberg View. And Bloomberg View commentaries can be heard hourly weekdays. The Brexit Vote. Coverage continues now on Bloomberg Radio. We are back. Megan Green is the chief economist at Manulife and is somebody who follows uh, what is going on around the world very closely. She's been talking uh, up uh, the situation with uh, Europe lately and immigration, and that is the key issue uh, for a lot of people in the Brexit debate. Uh, Megan, you said it might uh, put the Fed on pause. Uh, what is the real issue in terms of immigration for uh, the United Kingdom? Yeah, I mean, I could sit here and make sophisticated economics arguments for why the U.K. should absolutely choose to stay in the EU. But I think for Joe Sixpack on the street in the U.K., um, it really does come down to migration. And there's real concern among a lot of people here that um, they're foreigners taking their jobs, that they're overwhelming their schools, um, bankrupting their national health services as well. So if the U.K. does choose to leave the EU, it will end up having to leave the single market if it wants to cut down on that kind of immigration. If you look at the actual statistics, however, um, EU migrants in particular um, contribute massively to the U.K. economy um, and are actually net contributors to um, the government. So they are providing more in tax revenues than they are um, 
system. So unfortunately, the arguments are all wrong, but, you know, it's never stopped politicians um, from ignoring statistics. <laughs> Actually, I think it would be in, in Britain, it would be Joe six pint, not six pack, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, the the argument uh, from the uh, pro uh, Brexit camp is that maybe they could do something like uh, Norway uh, and and still have the trade relationship without having the uh, full membership uh, in the EU and therefore without having the um, the, the overwhelming uh, bureaucracy that they they decry. Uh, would that work? Is that a possibility? Well, so if the UK were to choose Norway's model, it would still have to pay a lot of money into the EU budget, um, and it, it would maintain um, a financial services passport into the rest of the EU, so it would still be part of the single market. Um, but, of course, the UK would have to accept um, EU citizens working uh, in the UK as well, so it would be part of the you know, free movement um, ability to work. Um, like I said, the biggest reason a lot of people are voting to leave the EU is presumably that they're against migration. So um, the, the Norway model wouldn't well, actually solve that issue. Give us an update on this from from your study of this and your work with Foreign Affairs magazine. I just went to the Telegraph, which I, I believe I can say, folks, has a clear tone towards approving of Brexit. And there's a, a tweet or a live whatever on their website the English Channel could turn into the Med, quote, with fleets of small boats coming over, unquote. This isn't Dunkirk, but it's almost a Dunkirk mentality. Within your research for your foreign affairs article, how prevalent is that within the EU and within Great Britain? Well, so I think that argument is actually right. If the U.K. leaves the EU, it will um, be easier to stop migrants coming from other EU countries, but it will be much harder for the U.K. to stop refugees, for example, from coming over. And that's mainly because the U.K. and France currently have an agreement so that border controls happen in France. That's why you have a massive refugee camp in Calais or have had one. Um, the second the U.K. leaves the EU, the French have already said that that border will, will move right on over to the U.K., and so that will become the U.K.'s problem. So you could see boats going across the channel. Um, so I do think that that's a real risk, and it's an argument that hasn't been made a whole lot. Let's get an update. As long as we're talking Brexit, on Grexit, uh, you had written earlier this year that July would be uh, the time to watch because the, the migrant crisis was in, would be in full cry then uh, with the weather. But uh, with if if the deal with Turkey holds, have the Greeks dodged a problem for now? Yeah, so I think that probably um, the can has been kicked beyond July now. Um, it looks like Greece will get its next tranche of funding. Um, don't mistake that for the Greek crisis being solved, of course. It just means that we'll get through until this fall before Greece will come back into the headlines. Um, and you're right, the EU-Turkey deal has um, slowed the trickle of refugees into Greece significantly. That may also because, be because the border between um, Greece shut around the same time. Um, that EU-Turkey deal is unraveling as we speak, though. I think it's a matter of months before it, it falls apart. So Erdogan will certainly drag that out as he tries to extract more from the EU. Right. Um, but I do think that it will fall apart and we'll see refugees flowing again. One more question, if we could, Megan, very quickly. Will this debate be enough of a momentary, sudden, or exogenous shock to change the vote? I mean, are you that, that strident about it? 
I don't think so. I think that it will be pushed off beyond the Brexit referendum. The one thing that could really shift the Brexit referendum uh, would be a terrorist attack, and I think that, that that's a huge risk. Thank you, Megan Green. Greatly appreciate it with Manulife. Uh, not only your work on the domestic economy or research notes on the Fed, uh, but also an important article again in Foreign Affairs magazine. Mike, this is what I love about our, our guests. They, they, they have these tangents they go off on. It's like William Stanley Jevons, who dragged us into marginalia in economics, the calculus, the next, if you will. And he also studied sunspots in his spare time. <laughs> You know, did the whole sunspot thing way before uh, the modern day. Megan, just with a cottage industry there, smart thinking. She's on top of, definitely on top of that stuff uh, and is kind of one of the go-to people you you want to talk to. Uh, Here's a really interesting statistic. There are people who who look at these things. Uh, We were talking about Donald Trump and the fact, obviously, that uh, people either love him or hate him. How does it show up economically? Uh, Pricenomics which is a, a, a website de- devoted to statistics in economics, looked at, uh, with, with the help of um, one of their uh, travel search engines, uh, data on bookings at Trump hotels. They found bookings at Trump hotels are 59% lower than the same period a year ago. It's, yeah. He, he seems to have offended enough people that they don't want to stay in his hotels. Well, yeah, the, the notoriety on that, I'm going to say 10 weeks ago, is when Kay Oberman lives in the Upper East Side in one of his towers, and I believe Kay Oberman exited. He got yeah. so, which is no surprise that Keith Oberman um, is, is. Well, most of these towers, Trump, he doesn't but, own most of the apartments and yeah. things with his name on it, he just leases his name to it. Um, I, I, Keith was so. at a Mets game, and, and somebody like was making a joke about where he lived, and he said, that's enough. I don't need this. Trump International Hotel in Las Vegas bookings down 71% over a year ago. Wow. Yeah. That's that's yeah. something. Anyways, and, and thanks again to all of our Sunday uh, guests. We did Chuck Todd today, and we'll have many others through the week. But uh, I really can't say enough about Bloomberg Radio and the effort uh, Sunday beginning at 11 a.m., to be informed about the Sunday discourse. We're, we're very proud that we can bring that uh, to you. Futures up three, Dow futures up 33. Yields now higher. Uh, the 10-year yield, 1.89%. Bloomberg surveillance.